morning. I hope you're uh, hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, wow, it's already Tuesday. I didn't think it was uh, coming that quickly. Hey, I'm uh, encouraged this morning. We're supposed to be speaking about uh, persevering and uh, making disciples, and so we're going to do that uh, later this week. Uh, you're going to be looking at some things uh, about. Uh, wisdom and uh, about fools. Hopefully either you're going to learn some things about wisdom as far as just in making disciples in this first part, but you're going to be learning a lot of things. I'd really encourage you to uh, pay close attention then because one of the things you're going to find is if you don't deal with foolish tendencies in your life, if you don't deal with things that can take you off track, persevering and making a, in making disciples is not going to be a reality anyway. So you really need to learn to deal with those things. So I'd really encourage you, and when Randy comes uh, uh, to share with you, you know, you'll want to really uh, uh, lock in to what he's saying and really learn a lot there. Plus that, he'll be able to straighten out any messes that I've created, and so this will be good, and uh, you'll move forward and be encouraged. So that'll be good. Um, you know, last year we were here, and we were uh, walking around and, uh, campus, and I was talking to uh, one of the guys that's over this, and as he was speaking, he said, oh my gosh. He said, you know, working, working with you guys is so good. He said, I so enjoy this. And I said, uh, well, we like working with you too. You know, and that's good. He goes, no, I mean like you guys, it's, it's really good because like you're supposed to have all your registrations done and you have all your registrations done. And like you, you, you send us a schedule and then you actually do the schedule. And then, you know, you, you say you're going to keep the place clean and, and you keep the place clean. And, and you do, and he started telling me all this stuff and I thought, shouldn't that just be normal? I mean, that's what people are supposed to do. You know, I mean, it's, it should just be normal. Well, it's, it's the same way when I think about persevering and making disciples. Shouldn't that just be normal? Yeah, it ought to be. I mean, shouldn't that just be something we continue to do our entire lives? Well, sure it should. Well, why isn't that true? Why, why, why don't people persevere in making disciples? Let me give you a, a couple of reasons I think they don't. One, I think sometimes people don't realize it's their job in the first place. I think a lot of times people are kind of fogged at that point. In Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, Paul says this. He says, and he, speaking of God, he says, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now I want you to focus in on one sentence right there. Did you see the part where it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service? Did you notice there's not a comma after saints? The one whose job it is to get ministry done are not the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers, etc., etc. No, their job is the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Their job is to help equip everyday people like us so that we can get the job done of helping folks come to Christ. Now, does that mean they don't have an obligation to be making disciples? No, they do. But, you know, it's every one of our jobs. It's our job to get it done. Now, what you find with God is a lot of times in Scripture you'll look and he repeats things. Now, he doesn't repeat things, you know, uh, because, you know, he really needs to. You know, it's not like, you know, it's not who says something uh, or it's not, you know, how many times it's said that makes it important. It's really who said it. 
If I say to you something like this, as a country, we are going to war today. You're kind of like, yeah, I'm going to lunch. Uh, you know, so I mean, you don't really care. It doesn't make any difference. But if I'm the president of the United States and I stand up here and say that, that makes a huge difference. It's who says something. But what you'll find with God is sometimes he repeats things not for his benefit, but for our benefit. And four different times in what we would refer to as the Great Commission, at least four different times, if not more, it's brought up in Scripture. One of the verses is in Luke 24, and he says this, He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Then John picks up on it and says, And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them, Peace be unto you, as the Father hath sent me, so send I you. Then in uh, Acts 1.8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then the verse we looked at yesterday, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, says, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. So what God wanted us to be crystal clear on is, it is our job. He's given it to each one of us. No way we can kind of shirk that. So if, you know, if that's one of the things you think, well, you know, I'm not crystal clear on that. You're crystal clear on that. It's your job. You know, another thing, I think sometimes, sometimes what keeps people from persevering, they just get overwhelmed at the task. I mean, have you ever thought 7.3 billion people? Good night. Where did they all come from? How did we get 7 point? Now, we're not going to have a lesson on how we got 7.3 billion people. But, you know, I can tell you this. It's not like one couple had 1,000 kids and another couple had 10,000 kids. No, you know what? It was just everybody pitching in. Uh, you know, this couple over here had uh, two or three. This one had three or four. This one had a couple. And we ended up with 7.3 billion. And you're thinking, wow, how do you reach 7.3 billion people? Well, let's say this, you know, let's say that, you know, I'm, I'm cruising along and I meet some guy and I share Christ with him. And, and so, you know, he decides he wants to become a Christian. So I spend a year just telling him everything I know. That usually takes about a day. And then we could spend 364 days reinforcing that. And so he now knows everything I know. And we're kind of going into the next year. And at the start of the next year, he and I both share the gospel and, and two more people come to Christ and we spend that year just pouring into them everything we know. And then, you know, the next year, the four of us, you know, we're walking along and we share the gospel with four other people and they come to Christ and we spend a year with that person just pouring everything we know into them and, and that continues on and on and on. How long would it take to reach the entire world? 7.3 billion people if you did that? I'm not sure, huh? 33 years. 33 years. I know some of you are going, are you sure about that? Yes, I'm sure about that. <laughs> 33 years. It's called the power of multiplication. Does one person a year overwhelm anybody? 
I don't think one person is an overwhelming thing, is it? You may think, well, good night, Neil. 33 years. It's been a few more than that since Jesus died. Um, how is it that we haven't gotten there yet? Well, it's simple. People don't persevere in making disciples. That's why we're not there. So, what will it take for you to persevere? Um, great passage that uh, we're going to take a minute and look at. Paul is writing to um, his true child in the faith, Timothy. And this is one of the last things that Paul writes. And so he uh, tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, I want, you to, I, want, I want you to be aware of some things. And so in this little passage in, in chapter 2 of 2 Timothy, he, he tells us why people don't persevere. 2 Timothy 2, 2 through 5, he says, Timothy, in the things which you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able, <clears throat> excuse me, who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself with the affairs of everyday life, so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. So. Why is it that people don't persevere? Well, the very first reason is this. You know, um, for many, um, they need to be clear on the objective. They need to be clear on the objective. In 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he says, Timothy, the things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. See, the goal is this. We want to leave behind men and women who know God and walk with him as a result of our lives. That's what we want to do. That's the objective. In case anybody is fogged on that at all, we want to leave behind men and women who know God and love him and walk with him as a result of our lives. That's what we want to do. The second reason I think that people uh, don't persevere is found in verse 3. He says, you need to realize that you're in a battle. Paul tells Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He says, Timothy, you're, in a you're, you're like a soldier, Timothy. Realize you're in a battle. Now, I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but civilian and military people differ. Have you noticed that? I mean, they differ in a lot of ways. You know, one of them, they differ in expectations. Civilian people, you know... They, they, they have totally different expectations. Military people, they expect hardship. That's part of what they expect. Civilian people, people expect comfort. You know, if you told uh, an army group, hey, we're going to come up here this week. By the way, there are your barracks right over there. 24 of you are going to be in one room with one bathroom, and you're going to have little rickety uh, metal beds. They'd go, yeah, thanks for the beds. We come up and go, how many people are in a room? Why? We expect comfort. They expect hardship. You know, they only differ like that. They also differ in agenda. Military people, they expect to please their commander. That's what they live for, to please their commander. Civilian people live to please themselves. Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, you're not a civilian. You're a soldier. Remember who you are. 
Probably the biggest difference is in how you become each one. You know, in the naturalization process, when someone becomes a civilian, when someone becomes a citizen, they take this pledge of allegiance to this American thing and say, yeah, I'm kind of into this American thing and I, I, I want to be a part of this. But when you have the military induction, you don't take a pledge of allegiance, you take an oath of allegiance. And you say, I am willing to lay down my life for this country. That's what I'm about. What you'll find <clears throat> with a lot of folks is they've taken a pledge of allegiance to Christ. They've never taken an oath of allegiance. They've never decided, this is what I am about. This is what I'm going to do. He says, you need to realize, Timothy, you're in a battle. You're a soldier. The third reason is, you know, found in verse 4, you just you need to live an unentangled life. Paul says, no soldier, <coughs> excuse me, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. To live an unentangled life. Now by that, I'm not suggesting you know, that you go off by yourself and think, I'm just going to live at Hume the rest of my life. And you know, that's what I'm going to do, and just unentangled it. No, no, I'm not suggesting that at all. In fact, you know, that's weird. Okay, uh, what I am suggesting uh, is that, you know, you, you need to live a different kind of life. In fact, there's no problem with getting married. There's no problem with having kids. In fact, that's very normal. In fact, I don't want to mention it, but like biological reproduction and helping those folks grow up and become disciples, that is every bit as important as spiritual reproduction. In fact, the four most important disciples I ever had a hand in helping to uh, develop were the four that grew up in my home. And so, you know, what I would tell you is this, you know, it's not that you can't be involved. Be involved, just don't become entangled. Be involved, just don't, just don't become entangled. So what do you need to watch for as you think about becoming entangled? What, what does that look like? Well, what I, I would suggest to you is, let me, let me tell you a story. Um, if you look back in, in ancient mythology and stuff like that, there was this King uh, Shonius. And King Shonius, one of the things with him was he had, a, he had a daughter. And the daughter's name was Atalanta. And so King Shonius, he really wanted Atalantia to be married. She was kind of a tomboy, and she wasn't into that. And she was like, no, I don't want to get married. He's like, you've you got to get married. And she was like, no. And so... Uh, Finally, she says, all right, all right, all right, all right. Here, I will get married. Here's the thing. Whoever wants to marry me needs to race me. Now, if they win, I'll marry them. If I win, they pay with their lives. You know, a lot of guys are going, she's not that good looking. Uh, you know, they're kind of <laughs> stepping aside. Thinking, well, I don't know about that. But the fact of the matter was, she was like, you know, she was like drop-dead gorgeous. So all these guys were like, hmm. I think I, I'm fairly fast and a lot of guys lined up and a lot of guys raced and a lot of guys paid with their lives and so you know finally one day there's come this guy named Hippomenes and Hippomenes steps up and he says I want to race her and so you know she's thinking oh, <laughs> this is easy so she walks up to the line he walks up to the line now what she didn't know was a little trick he had up his sleeve and so they get ready to race and boy they, they start the gun and she takes off. But in his little bag that he has on his waist, 
he reaches in and pulls out this golden apple. And he's, as they're running, she's way ahead of him, and he takes the apple and he kind of lobs it forward. And she's running and she looks over and she sees the apple and she goes, and so she stops and she goes over and she picks up the apple and as she picks up the apple, Hippomenes passes her and she realizes and she takes off again and she gets ahead of him and she's going along and he reaches in and he picks up this other golden apple and he lobs it forward and she's running and she looks and she sees the golden apple and she thinks, oh, I want that. And so she stops and she goes over and she picks it up and he passes her. And, you know, she realizes, she takes off again, she gets ahead of him, and he reaches in, and he has the last golden apple. And he takes it, and he lobs it ahead. And she's looking at the apple, and she's looking at the finish line. She's looking at the apple. She thinks, I think I can have both. I think I can do it. And she goes over, picks up the apple. He wins. She has to marry him. Go figure. Uh, you know, and you kind of sit there, and you look at you think, Wow. What in the world? Why would you tell us that story? Well, I'll tell you why. The enemy of your soul is lobbing golden apples. All the time. And what you have to decide is, are you going to stop? Are you going to pick those up? Are you going to go after that? Or are you going to pursue the course that God has for you? Are you going to continue on? Are you going to move forward? Are you going to actually, you know, persevere in the race? Or... Are you going to get sidetracked? Are you going to get entangled? So what are the things that, you know, what are the golden apples that would entangle you? One of them would be relationships. You know, for some of you right now, you think, oh my gosh, the one thing I need in my life, if I just had him, or if I just had her, if that old life would come together, if that happened. See, the reality is uh, that's not true. You know, in Colossians 2, 9 and 10, Paul speaking says, for in him, speaking of Jesus Christ, for in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and in him you are complete. See, what you need to understand is this. If you are not enough without them, you will never be enough with them. So for some of you, you need to give up on that idea, and you don't need to become entangled of, oh, I've got to find this person, I've got to find... No, 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 no. You know, what I would encourage you to do is this. You walk with God, you pursue the things that He has for you, and then look around. If somebody else happens to be walking in the same path, doing the same thing, this might be a candidate. But you know, don't waste your time running all over the place trying to find somebody. That's just dumb. Second golden apple, career. A lot of times we get out and we think, you know what, I, I just got to get out in my career and I'll just, I've got to prove myself. And so the first several years we're out of school, you know, we think, I just got to throw myself into this. I know 80 hours seems like a lot, but it's really not. And uh, we just throw ourselves into our career and then we get promoted and we think, well, you know, honestly, I was planning on working less hours, but, you know, they just promoted me. I need to really prove to them that they made a good decision, so we go ahead and work more hours. And, and then, you know, we get promoted, and then all of a sudden we start having kids, and that's more expensive, and when we think about all that, we think, well, I really need to just pour myself into this because, after all, I've got to provide for all this. And then our parents get older, and we've got to help take care of them, and we think, well, you know what, I need to really work more because... After all, I've got all these responsibilities, and plus I've got kids, and plus I've got to prove myself, and plus I've got, you know, to start it. And all of a sudden, 
Life is almost over. Men and women, what I would tell you is this. Do not fool yourself into thinking, someday I'm going to do that. Don't fool yourself into doing that. If you're not doing it now, you're not going to do it. So don't fool yourself. You know, there's, there was, used to be this commercial for like Kodak, I think it was. It was one of those commercials where these, they would start out and they were a young couple and this wife would say, we ought to take pictures. And he would say, you know, oh, not right now, not right now. And then, you know, a little bit later it shows them and they're having kids and she goes, we ought to take pictures, you know. And he's like, not right now, not right now, you know. And then it shows them and, and they're getting older and the kids are in college. And she says, we ought to take pictures. And he goes, not, not, not now, not right now. And then it shows them and they're sitting on this porch and they're rocking in these chairs and they're really old. And she goes, we ought to take pictures. And he goes, it's too late. <laughs> and I think that's how many people end up. They keep thinking, you know, someday I'm going to get started on this. Now, for some of you, you're thinking, boy, there are. There are people like that. I don't know what they're waiting on. I mean, me, I'm going to get started next year. <laughs> yeah, but you know the problem with that? Next year becomes this year. And then you're going to get started next year. If you don't get started now, you're not going to get started. So don't buy up that golden apple. The last one is just the apple of uh, personal purity. Deciding before God, you know what, God? You really do care about who I am. You really do care how I conduct myself towards others. What I would really encourage you there, watch heart addictions. There are all sorts of things that can begin to get into your heart and draw you away from Christ. And so watch heart addictions. Now, for some people, it can be things that are really messed up and you can kind of recognize those. And, you know, eventually, uh, I mean, Originally, we don't usually go into those just, you know, straight on. We can end up there, but we don't just do that. But little things that begin to take your heart away, you know, where you begin to choose that over Christ time and time and time again. Watch heart addictions. Watch those golden apples because those are the things that will really take you apart and mess you up. The fourth thing, he says, we must compete according to the rules. Paul says if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. Now, what's the event Paul's talking about here? Long jump? Pole vault? No. Did you read back in verse 2? 2, 2, 2 Timothy, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What he's talking about is a relay. It's Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others. He's talking about a relay. So how do you get disqualified from a relay? What are the rules that would mess you up in a relay? Well, the first one is this. Uh, I'll give you three. One, losing the baton. Just dropping the baton. Have you ever watched a relay race where they drop the baton? <laughs> You're like, what in the world? I mean, they're coming up. They're just about to win. One guy reaches back and just drops the baton. And you're like, oh my gosh. If you're wondering, how does that apply? You need to get a grip on what it is you want to pass on. We talked about that yesterday. We talked about you need to know what is it you're trying to help other people with? 
What is it you're trying to pass on to them? Can you spell it out? Can you actually verbalize, this is what I'm trying to pass on? If you can't verbalize it, I'll tell you this, you don't have a grip on it. And eventually, you won't persevere. You need to know, this is what I'm about, this is what I'm passing on. You need to get a grip. The second thing, not completing the handoff within the exchange limits. If you don't complete the handoff within the exchange limits, you get disqualified. You didn't play according to the rules. In August of 2009, the United States men's team was running the 4 by 100 relays in the World Championships. And everyone thought that they'd won. Everyone was so excited. They were like, yeah, yeah. And then they went back and looked. And no, they didn't make the handoff within the space in which they were supposed to. The guy was already stepping out of the park when they made the handoff. They lost the race. They lost the entire race. Now you look at that and you think, okay, how does that work for you? You know, it doesn't count if you don't make the handoff to the person that you need to in the time you're supposed to. Now, time is passing for all of us. You know, many of you, God willing, you're going to graduate someday. I mean, your parents hope so, okay? You're going to graduate. Remember the goal? To leave behind men and women who are walking with him? You've got to complete that handoff. What are you waiting on? You know, what's holding you up? You've got to complete the handoff. You've got to do that. The third aspect, leaving your lane. One of the things you have to do is you have to stay within the guidelines of what's set up. Now, if you're wondering what one of the big guidelines is, what's well, this? You know, it's, it's the great, not just the great commission, it's the great commandment. You have to love other people. You do not get the option to, you know, be the Grinch and make disciples. No, you have to love other people, okay? That has to be something that's, that's in there. You do not get the option to do it any way that makes sense to you. No, you have to love other people. But, you know, there's also just the fact that within every single one of us, there's that proning to wonder. We looked at that uh, last night in that song, you know, where he wrote, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. That's, that's in every single one of us, every single one. I know it's in me, you know. There's that there, you know, well, what, what do you do about that? What do you do with that proning to wonder? Well, the psalmist in Psalm 119, 176, says this, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. Now you look at that and you think, wow, really? This is the guy who wrote Psalm 119 that's writing this. If you ever read Psalm 119, what you kind of see this, this is kind of like the oh verse of the Bible. I mean, you read this and you look at this chapter and it's like, it's called the ABCs of the Word of God. This is the guy, he took every uh, letter in the Hebrew alphabet and then he kind of talked about how, you know, God's Word is, is this and it's this and it's this and it's this and he goes through and if there's anyone in the world who knows God's Word, if there's anyone who is locked into truth, if there's anyone who understands things and man can help himself, it is this guy right here. But 
What happens whenever he finds out he strayed? Does he say, hey, I've strayed, but don't worry, I'll get my way back because I'm the one who wrote Psalm 119. You know, he, is, is that what he did? No, 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 no. He says, you know what? I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. What you see is this. You know, there's going to be times when, when you look at yourself and, and your resolve to make disciples may fade. I mean, for some of you, that may be next week. Uh, for others of you, you know, it may be 10 years from now, maybe 20 years, maybe 40 years from now. Your resolve may fade. Well, when it does, ask God for help. Say, God, I need you. Help me. Seek your servant. Help me to do this, God. So how do you persevere in making disciples? Um, four things. Be clear on the objective. Realize it's a battle. Live an unentangled life. Compete according to the rules. If you'll do that, then God willing, you know what? 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now, you'll still be getting after it. And there will be men and women walking around as a result of your life who know the Savior and who in turn are passing it on to others. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we look 